Good morning, friends. I wonder if you know that this coming Saturday, the 20th of March, is the International Day of Happiness. So I'm just giving you some advanced warning about this. You've got a few days to get ready for it. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of week you've had, it doesn't matter what kind of Friday you've had, but some person somewhere, some committee somewhere, have decided that on Saturday, the 20th of March, it's time to be happy or to celebrate the idea of happiness together. I don't know what you think about ideas like that. I confess to sometimes feeling a little cynical about markers like this. I'm not sure what's more strange or, or weird uh, about this concept, that, that such a day even exists or, or that they've decided it should really just be one day out of the year. <laughs> when should we celebrate happiness? One day should just about do it. Dear, I do sound, I do sound like a killjoy, don't I? To be honest with you, when I looked at the website, there is a website for the International Day of, of Happiness. Um, there's actually some brilliant stuff on there. And of course, it's all wonderfully well-intentioned. What this is, is basically people working hard to produce articles and tools and suggestions as to how to improve your levels of happiness. So you could definitely spend your time on many less worthwhile pursuits than this. So fair play to those people. I think my concern not a big concern, but my slight concern about this is related to an image I saw when I was looking into this day coming up. If you do an image search for International Day of Happiness, apart from the fact that it kind of looks a little bit like a, a rainbow has thrown up on your laptop screen, uh, you, you come across this as one of the images. And I think this image capture something that leads me to be a bit concerned about the ideas of International Day of Happiness. I actually think this image captures something very profound. You see, this is how we often live, isn't it? Who knows what's going on behind the balloon, behind the mask, but outwardly, this is what we will convey. And I think as followers of Jesus, we want to live a different way to that, where people don't need to hide behind a smiley face. Why? Because we follow King Jesus, who, as it says in Isaiah 53, was a, a, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Yes, who, as it says in Hebrews then, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and, and invites us to join him in that joy but as we walk the path and, and deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, we, we do recognize that we're following a man of sorrows who is acquainted with grief. And then we, we read letters like this, the letter of, of James, and it's written to early believers who were facing many difficulties. And we find that this letter, the Bible, does not shy away from considering this issue. How will we walk through life considering the struggles that we face? It doesn't shirk those questions, but it addresses them head on. 
regardless of what life has been like up to this point or regardless of how you're feeling just now, one of the most important things we can do is to ponder this issue of suffering and struggle and to ask, how can I, how must I, as a follower of Jesus, respond when suffering comes? And it is when, it's not if, because one thing that we are guaranteed is that at some point in our lives we will go through times of difficulty. And I want to share with you from this passage three encouragements as to how we can live in this world where suffering is a reality. First thing is this, be patient. Be patient. Where did I get that from? The very first two words in the passage. You're welcome for that deep, you know, profound scriptural input. (laughs) But let me read this. It just says this. James just says in this new section here, be patient, therefore brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Now, we don't like this, do we? From around about the age of two or three, we begin to be told to be patient, and we don't like it. Don't like it then, and it does not get any easier through life. But a number of times in this passage, in this letter written to believers in great peril, James says, be patient. In fact, four times in the first four verses were pointed to this encouragement, this command, really. Now, we'll see in a moment that there are some amazingly hope-filled grounds for us to, to, to stand on as we embrace this call to patience. But for now, I just want to underline it and just have a soak in this just for a moment because in those days we all face when happiness seems far off, in those moments of trial and disappointment, we need to heed this call to be patient. One of the reasons this is a challenge for us is as we consider the culture in which we live. We live in an instant everything culture. If we need information, we get it. If we need to buy something, we press a button and it can even be there on the same day sometimes. That, that's not always been the case, of course. I can, I can remember the times where we had on my bottom bookshelf in, in the hallway at home, a set of encyclopedias. And if you wanted to learn something for like a, a, an essay or something you were writing, you had to go and find the encyclopedia, look it up. I can even remember getting on a bus a few times and going to the library because I needed the bigger set of encyclopedias to understand something. And now, of course, that's all changed, right? We, we just, we, we want to know something. We whip out our phone, type it in, or we can even speak to like a speaker in our room or something like that. It's incredible. So that's one of the reasons why we find patience difficult. The Bible's call to be patient when we're confused, when we don't get it, when we're struggling, when we're hurting, is is very countercultural. But it is indeed one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit that is to blossom in the life of a follower of Jesus. Be patient. But it's difficult not just because of external realities like the the culture that we live in, but also because of an inner sense of entitlement that grows within us. When we face difficulties, when we see something we don't like or feel something we don't like, we all want answers to know why it's happening. And sometimes when the answers don't come, we can feel aggrieved. Now, if that's you today... I want you to know that you are not alone. I want to be so careful here with how we speak about these things because we all feel like that sometimes. 
aggrieved when we don't understand why has this happened to me and I actually think there is something very good about that it is almost an inner barometer which is reminding us that this is not the way the world was meant to be this is not the way God wanted the world to be it's alerting us to that fact when we feel that sense of why ah it's 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 alerting us to the reality that this world is marred, this world is, is, uh, has been thrust into chaos because of sin and this world is groaning and then we find ourselves groaning uh, in line with that because of the pain and the difficulty that there is in this world. And I know just from the numbers of people in our church family and the numbers of people that will watch this video, I know that there are many who are groaning just now as they consider the questions that they have because of the suffering that they're encountering. encountering. But so, so for that reason, I'm saying this very carefully, but I do want to flag the call in this passage to patience. We do have a choice to make in how we will respond in these tough moments. And we need God's help in this. We need to pray for God's help. But the reality is this, that God has given us this book, the Bible, which is his perfect revelation to us of who he is and how we are to live. And as we consider the challenges that we face, we need to decide how we will approach this book. Will we exalt ourselves as Lord over God's word? Or will we humble ourselves and accept that we are under God's word, even if we don't understand it, even if it does not answer all the questions that we think it should. It is dangerous when we come expecting that every question that we have should be answered exactly as we want. The reality is we are not always able to understand God's ways. We're not always able to understand God's ways. When I was in my final year of school, I had this moment of realization when I finally realized what my teachers had been up to over the years, that at the root of my education was basically this strategic, methodical, repeated lying. Now, I'm sure there's some clever educational psychology word for it. Some of you can maybe let me know, but it basically comes down to lies. Let me give you a few examples. So when you're in primary school, you're learning your sums with your little counters, three takeaway, one Martin, well you take your counter away and there's two, it's two. And then some smart aleck in the class says, hey, what's three takeaway five? Well, it doesn't work with the counter system. So you're just told, oh no, you can't do that. Don't worry about that. You're, you can't do three takeaway five. And then of course you learn that's a lie. There's these things called negative numbers. Same with division. You're learning to do division. You've got your, your counters and you're separating them off into little groups. Well, what's two divided by three? No, 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 you can't do that. There's only two, there's only two parts here. You can only do two divided by two. So, so don't worry about that. And then, you're, then you learn, that's a lie. <laughs> there's these things called fractions. And this goes on right through school. Uh, you know, later on in, in, in high school, you're told you can't take the square root of a negative number. Oh, wait, you, you actually can. They're called imaginary numbers. Now, that's when you, you have to give up, right? When they start convincing you that there's something called imaginary numbers. They're having a laugh at that point, surely. Now, why do they do that? What's with all this lying? Well, it's because, joking aside, good teachers recognize 
that our brains can only handle so much at certain times. Now, take this illustration of P3 pupil to teacher and the gap that there is of knowledge and, and, and the way that that is difficult to understand. We don't understand all the concepts at once. Take that gap and consider the gap that we have in our finite wisdom and understanding when we consider the Lord of heaven and earth and his perfect, infinite wisdom and understanding. And we have to come with this mindset as we think about the scriptures, as we come to sometimes demand answers from the Bible, that we should not expect to always understand everything. God has revealed something of his infinite wisdom, something of his infinite wisdom in this book, the Bible. So when we don't understand something, we need to be careful not to expect in our finite wisdom and understanding to have complete grasp of every detail of every moment of our lives. Might it not be that we need to be patient in our struggles, in our difficulties, to be patient? We may not understand now, but friends, God is not finished with us. And one day we will see fully and clearly, and one day we will understand. Until then, be patient. The second encouragement in this passage is to be strong. To be strong. I'm not talking about physical strength here. I'm in no position to teach on that with any authority, that's for sure. I'm talking about strength of faith. Yes, be patient, but also be strong, secure, steadfast. Look at verse 8 of the passage. It says, you also be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. Strengthen your heart. Understand the position of your heart made alive before God. Establish your heart. Don't be swayed this way or that way. Establish your heart. And then it's put differently in verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And what I love is, as we think about the example of Job, is, is the hope that we can find in this example. Job was not always patient. Job did struggle with many questions and difficulties. He did not always establish his heart as you read through the chapters of Job. But ultimately, God showed Job the wonders and depths of his wisdom and power. And Job ultimately got to the point where he knew he needed to submit to God. And ultimately, he remained steadfast because he knew, yes, he had questions, but he had seen as it says in verse 11, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. When we see who God is, our hearts are strengthened and established, not in our own capacities, but in who God is. And I want to say, if you're in a time of joy and peace and happiness just now, use this time to build strong pillars of truth around you so that when this world shakes, as it does, as it has, as it will, your faith in God, your hope, your philosophy of life does not come crashing round 
about you because your heart is strong and established in the rock solid truth of who God is. I once heard Matt Redmond speak about the idea of being spiritually carsick. Apparently, and we get carsick because our eyes tell us one thing as we look inside the car. Our eyes are telling us that we're not moving, but our system of balance is telling us something else, that we're hurtling along the motorway or something like that. And one of the ways, apparently, to help ease carsickness is by lifting our hand and putting it out the window of the car to remind ourselves of the reality that we're moving. And Matt Redmond spoke of how worship can cure us of our spiritual car sickness. When we become disoriented and nauseous by the ups and downs and confusions in life, he's saying, lift your hand, stick your hand out the window and remind yourself of what is true reality, of of where you really are and where you're really going, of this great God and of who he is, how he's compassionate. And he, he, he was encouraging us to just, just when you're struggling, when you're feeling low, when you're suffering, speak out the words of who God is, that God is good, that he's holy, that he's wise, that he's for me, that he's compassionate, that he's merciful, that he's gracious, that he's faithful, that, that we have a certain assurance that we are moving forward in his plans and purposes. And as we begin to do that, we become less spiritually carsick. We, our hearts are established. We are made strong in God. Read the scriptures, friends. Build these pillars. Find solid ground to stand on where you know that no matter what, no matter how hard it is, God will not let you down. That is the story of the covenant people of God from page one to the end page of the the final page of the Bible. God does not give up on his people because they are his and he has chosen them. And we can know this, we can know this truth. There is such hope in this. There is such peace in this. God has a plan, even through the hardest of circumstances. Remember the illustration made famous by Corrie Ten Boom. We look up into the heavens and all we see is this mess and this chaos, a picture that looks so ugly with with bits here and bits there and bits everywhere and, and it's a mess to us. But the perspective of heaven is not the mess of a bunch of chaotic threads everywhere, but it's actually God with his beautiful tapestry which is which is coming into being before our very eyes. And it's a struggle to us, but we know from the scriptures that God is looking down and is weaving the most beautiful picture. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can be strong, be established in your heart. You can find hope. So first of all, be patient. Second of all, be strong and steadfast, not in yourself, but in who God is. And now as we close, be strong in the finished work of Jesus. In Jesus, we can, we must be patient and strong people of the resurrection. Be strong, patient, strong people of the resurrection. Foundational to all Christian hope in the New Testament is the reality that Jesus is alive and he's coming again and this changes everything and we are to live in light of that. And this undergirds everything that we've looked at so far. Look at how the call to patience is framed. Be patient therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. 
Don't fret. One day it will all make sense. One day you will enjoy the fruit of the harvest of the kingdom of God. Be patient. And then it says in verse 8, we can find strength. Establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's coming back. Be strong. Take heart because God is in control and Jesus is coming back. We are to live as people of the resurrection. Even when we look in verse 9, we haven't had time to get into this, but as we think about life together in the church of Jesus Christ, it says, don't grumble grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As we think about how to live, what to do and what not to do, we have to remember Jesus is coming back one day. We are to live as people of the resurrection. Not sure how you think about that in your walk of discipleship. We often talk, don't we, about the importance of living as people of the cross. And rightly so, for without the cross of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. But we must never forget that we are also people of the resurrection. Not only waiting, but but living in light of Jesus' return. Not just being patient, oh, come on, when's it gonna happen? But, but living in light of that, asking God for strong faith that will carry us through any trial that we would encounter. And through all of that, knowing that this is not the end. The story's not over yet. The end is certain and sure, and it is glorious beyond our wildest dreams far greater than any passing joy we might find in an international day of happiness or or even a a week-by-week pursuit of happiness that we might chase after in our own strength and circumstances. The, The end is certain and sure and glorious beyond our wildest dreams, far more real and honest and powerful than any smiley face mask that we might hide behind. Dear friend, no matter how deep your pain has been, no matter how deep the pain of this coming week, this coming year may be, no matter how joy-filled your life has been, we walk forward, dear friends, as the patient, strong people of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming again. May God lead us on until that day. Amen.